Hello and welcome to the Perth Della Prem podcast. This is your host, Mike. I've got big, big boots to fill today, filling in for Gareth, who couldn't have, uh, make the podcast tonight. We've got a massive, massive episode, lots of things to cover, plenty of Premier League football to look at and uh, lots of news and plenty of things to talk about. So today we're going to be talking about Liverpool and their start to the season. We're going to be looking at the results over the past couple of weeks. We're going to do a new segment, Rapid Fire Stats. We're going to also bring in another new segment and have a look at the game in focus. And we're going to have a look at the league table as well and see how that's shaping up after your thoughts on Liverpool's start to the season. We're just going to listen to what Gareth had to say in our pre-season predictions about Liverpool. At the time, you'd probably say it's controversial, but um, at the moment, it doesn't seem that way. So we'll have a listen and I'll get your thoughts, Michael. Oh, look, mine's going to be completely left of field. I thought we were, we were on here to make some big, bold calls. So I've got a team that's, you know, I think it's going to have a disappointing season that's probably going to upset one of you. Obviously, we know my prediction was City to win the league. Now, this team could finish second, but it could be in, my, in my opinion, I still think it could be a disappointing season. Um, there's Liverpool. I just think the year that they had last year, and I'm going to talk about the mentality monsters, because if they do say do well this season then you cannot argue that they're not mentality monsters but to do what they did last year and play every single game was just just absolutely phenomenal but only win the two domestic trophies and I say that only they could have obviously won all four they obviously lost the Premier League on the last day and then the Champions League but to go through that whole year and then not get as much success as what was talked about is going to be so, so hard to come back and do it again. I know they have done it, um, but looking at that year when they won the Premier League and they put absolutely everything into it and they were the best team by an absolute mile and then they came back the following season and their performances dropped a bit. I know they had injuries, um, but I think with the World Cup coming in, I know we said Salah's not going, but they'll have a lot of players who are going to the World Cup I think they could be in a little bit of trouble and I'm going to have a bold prediction that I think they'll finish at least 10 points behind whoever finishes top. So it might not be a massively bold prediction, but I just, I can't see them being as good as what they have been in the last few years. I think, I don't think they've recruited brilliantly. I think. Yeah. So got Gareth's thoughts there as well. And he, he mentioned a couple of times a bold prediction Maybe not so bold now. Perhaps mentality monsters no more. Uh, so this is actually Jurgen Klopp's worst start to a league season since he was at Mainz in Germany. Some people would have you believe that the title race is already over, which, from my opinion, is probably a little bit disrespectful to some of the other teams as well um, in and around that mix and to Liverpool themselves because it's early doors. Michael, I just want to get your thoughts um, about Liverpool's start to the season and, you know, what do you make of it and what can they do to sort of turn things around? Well, it's dreadful. Uh, that, that, that's uh, the word that comes to mind. I think the current absent Liverpool players in the squad that we can't call upon uh, has affected us massively. Uh, the likes of even our backup goalkeeper, Kelleher, uh, signing it right back to cover Trent, who is not in good form at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, Ramsey, Joel Matab at centre-half. Also, Kanate is absent. Chamberlain, made of glass. Uh, naturally, he's just always on the injury list, isn't he? Uh, same with Thiago. Uh, apart from the back in the last season where he had uh, a real good run of games and uh, kicked us on in the Champions League, got us all the way to the final, um, 
he, his experience uh, on the pitch, off the pitch, is, is heavily missed at the moment, even though he's sitting next to the stands uh, um, translating for Nunez, who's another talking point, a bit controversial because he did get a red. So he's a uh, straight red, missing three games, and uh, that first game came against United. We didn't have much up front. Bobby actually had a lot better game than we did the week before. Um, but there was nothing else. Uh, as soon as the other front two of the three uh, didn't really fire, there's also no Jota. He's still injured. Couldn't bring him on in the midfield. Bit of a dynamism, more of attacking midfielder Curtis Jones. He's injured. Now, Bikaita, uh transfer talks. Um, he's Again, he's another one always on the injury list. And um, there's been links reports actually uh, yesterday, Bruce Dorman are heavily interested if they can, they can uh, give us the right price at the moment or we, we might accept. Uh, Jürgen Klopp in his press conference says no. Uh, he's a Liverpool player and I think that's uh, that, that's good for us at the moment. You're trying to get minutes into legs, but maybe perhaps your options have been uh, rather limited as well. I think football fans are an interesting one because, like I said, a lot of people have you believe that the title race is already over. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit about Man United later on as well and you know how funny it is from because we're obviously covering, covering two weeks of results. If you look at their result last week compared to this week and the, the way their fans are interacting on social media is completely different. So oh, it's well, funny. The, the, yeah. Two weeks is a long time, mate. Yeah, 100% it is. Uh, uh, I think Klopp has the last seven Premier League games, even back into last season. So we went 1-0 down in the 56th minute against Tottenham. Third minute uh, against Villa away, we went down. Southampton away, took us 13 minutes. We are behind a goal. Wolves away, three minutes only at Anfield, behind a goal. Fulham, 32 minutes behind a goal. 32 minutes again, the Crystal Palace last week, and then 16 minutes only Sancho. So yeah. goals are coming really early, and it's it's taken us a lot, a lot of football just to get back in the game, uh, and that's really hurting us. Yeah, and I th- you've actually stolen one of my stats, so I think that's a, a pretty good segue uh, into the next section. But just before I do that, um, a couple of people, we had a bit of feedback as well. Just a disclaimer for our listeners. I know we're not a Manchester City and a Liverpool podcast. And of course, we are talking about the Premier League. Um, but I think, you know, we, we had to talk about Liverpool's start to the season there. So plenty more, um, well, plenty of different teams that we're going to talk about soon as well. So new segment as well, rapid fire stats. So I was just having a look um, around for some of the best stats. Michael's already stolen one of them. So cheers, Michael. Um but yeah, just some of the stats that have made the Premier League over the past couple of weeks and some interesting ones. So Michael, I'm gonna it's gonna be rapid fire, as it says on the screen right now. So I'm gonna get you to pick out a couple of stats that have interested you from the past couple of weeks. So first stat, here we go. Alright, so Eric Ten Hag is the first Manchester United manager manager to secure his first competitive win with the club against Anfield. 997, 997 minutes since Marcus Rashford uh, scored his last goal in all competitions for Manchester United since netting versus West Ham back in January earlier this year. Zero. Manchester United have never lost a Premier League game against Liverpool when they've led at half-time, winning 17 of the 20 matches and drawing three. Manchester City are just the fourth side to 
avoid defeat in three straight Premier League games when falling two goals behind. Obviously, uh, Erling Haaland is the third player to score in each of his first two Premier League away games for Man City after Emmanuel Adebayo or and Emil Mpenza. Prestigious names, aren't they? <laughs> so, Kieran Trippier has netted five Premier League goals. Four of those have been direct free kicks, the highest ratio of any player to score five or more goals in the competition. This is the third time that Alan St. Maximum has provided two, two or more assists in a single Premier League game with only four players doing so more, often since the Premier League made his debut in the competition with De Bruyne, Kane, Bowen and Alexander-Arnold. It's pretty impressive. Um, this is the seventh time Man City have tr- opened the scoring in the Premier League game, but trailed at halftime with City losing five of their previous six fixtures. Uh, Phil Foden is the quickest player under Pep Guardiola to make 100 p- appearances. Sorry, the youngest player. Um, Kaladu Koulibaly as well. Obviously got a red card at the weekend. He has been sent off the most times uh, out of any player in the big six leagues since 2017-2018. Thomas Tuchel. So obviously Chelsea's quite a defensively solid side. In his first 30 games, Chelsea only conceded 17 goals. But in the last 30, they have conceded 34. So double that number. Interesting one here. Brendan Aronson scoring for Jesse Marsh's lead side is the first time that an American player has scored a Premier League goal under an American manager. Um, Alexander Zinchenko has the highest winning percentage in the Premier League. He's been the winning side the most. And Harry Kane has scored 184 goals now for Tottenham. The single most or equal most by a player for any Premier League club level with Sergio Aguero. So, some interesting stats there. Maybe some not so as important as the others, but, but some interesting ones I didn't realise nonetheless. Any ones that sort of stood out there, Michael? Any ones that you want to discuss quickly before we move on? Uh, Thomas uh, Tuchel at uh, Chelsea. Uh, yeah, he did come in. He made a big difference. Uh, obviously, when, the, when they win that one goal up in the Champions League final, you knew they're going to hold on. He's really, really tied back. Uh, like you said, the first what thirty games, seventeen goals. Uh, he keeps his formation really tight, um, and it's really hard to break down where he really sits, uh, especially Kante um, and um, Kovacic uh, ahead of the centre backs in the defence. There are uh, working really well. Since then, they're leaking goals. I see they're locked really hard. They're, they're trying to get Kula Bale. I didn't actually know that side about his red cards, so that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, but he, he, like, it takes a lot of training on the pitch, uh, a lot of uh, instruction, a lot of teaching, actually, on the training pitch um, to get what he wants through these players. Uh, for example, for example, they need to get that right. But it looks good. It looks good. Then it just takes one moment because it hasn't been trained enough because he hasn't come in early enough in the summer where Tuchel can really uh, get that into his players' mentality. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because I said that I reckon Chelsea are going to finish fifth and they've not really started too well. And we'll touch on it a little bit more when we go over the results. But, I mean, they had Reese James at, at centre-back the other day as well. I think he played there when he was a little bit younger and when he was on had a couple of loan spells. But, I mean, they don't really have any options, especially now they've lost Rudiger. Obviously, it's such a rock and so important for them. Um, it would just be interesting to see how or who becomes a leader of that back line. I mean, don't get me wrong, Koulibaly... And Thiago Silva, you can't underestimate their quality, but they are aging as well. So 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And I, I've got my doubts about Chelsea, but I'll, I'll get onto that a little <laughs> bit later on. Um, all right, so we might as well get into the results now. So the way we'll do this is I've just got a, got a little bit here just about some different teams. Um, one thing I want to speak about, because I'm pretty sure we had this team in our relegation zone, um, or one of them anyway, um, is Fulham. I think they've made quite a remarkable start to the season. We discussed their result against um, Liverpool in the first week. Um, but they've also made they've, they've picked up points. They haven't lost a game yet. So, I mean, Fulham starts been really, really good. Mitrovic has scored three goals. Um, his best in the league is eleven goals. So, you know, he's still got a little bit till he gets to that point. Early days. But what have you made a Fulham start? A Fulham start to the season. And do you think this could be the year that they finally stay up and maybe have a bit more stability in the Premier League? Yeah. Well, it's uh, too early to tell, to be honest. But. Uh... It's quite impressive, the first few games in. Mitrovic has hit the, the ground around its early doors, but um, I, I do think he'll pass the 11 goals, uh, yeah. having that big return last season in the championship. Uh, the one thing which sort of uh, Norwich did, uh, they did against City, actually, uh, Pukis, uh, I think it was a 3-2 win at the Carrow Road. Um, they, they, they play their football, don't they, Michael? Um, and, and that's what Fulham do. That's what a lot of our promoted sides do. They have that energy. Uh, it worked for them. Um, they got promoted. Their optimism, they go into the season. They go, they play football, which is good to see. They're good to see. I think my uh, preseason comments are a bit of prediction. Uh, I think that, yeah, they're playing football. But when is the matches? And I thought Liverpool could be one of them early, early season. When is those matches where they need to say, hey, hey, let's focus on something different, how are we going to set up differently? This is the Premier League. We can't just play football every week. We're going to get absolutely battered here. But so far, they're getting the rewards. Um, it's paying off. Uh, Mitrovic looks an absolute threat um, going forward. And he, he's really switched on his mentality. Um, and love his celebration as well. <laughs> I think he just looks like he's got a point to prove as well because, I mean, myself included, and I'm sure many other fans have just said, well... You know, it's all well and good doing it in the championship. Um, but, you know, you've got to deliver in the Premier League. And there's so many players like that. It's kind of um, like a broken record, really. So it's good to see him doing well. Um, but I look at some of their signings as well. I mean, Bern Leno is a really good signing, experienced goalkeeper. Um, quite a high level. He's been at Arsenal, been in the Bundesliga as well. So he's played at a good level. Andreas Pereira, I don't know if you've seen too much of him, but every time I've seen him play, yeah. I saw a lot of him in the, in the Liverpool game and, and a couple of other games, but he's he's done really, really well. He just, yeah, he's, he's their midfielder uh, attacking outlet. Um, and they've given him the licence to sort of do what he wants, to be honest. Um, and then uh, that, that allowing uh, him being the focal point, he's, he's linking that middle third to the front third, which is really working well for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. As I say, early doors and uh, a week in football is a long time. Who knows? They could go on a poor run now as well. So Never know. Uh, another team that I want to talk about as well, because Arsenal, a lot of hype around them, just purely because of their signings. They had a, well, when I say they had a decent end to last season, they obviously tailed off in those last few games and it just looked like nobody wanted top four, whether it was Arsenal or Spurs or, or whoever, Man United. Um, but, you know, they're three from three. Their signings have bettered in really well. Jesus looks an absolute player for him. I mean, I knew that already, of course, having watched plenty of him. Um, but, yeah, I think he's really thriving being the main man now. And I think really that's what he needed. He just needed a reset. And 
it's paying dividends for Arsenal and 45 million. That could be a bargain at the end of the day. And um, same goes for Zinchenko as well. Uh, Saliba looks an impressive player. Um, he's had, a, I mean, there was a lot. I remember when he signed a few years ago, there was there was quite a bit of talk around him, but I couldn't I couldn't quite understand why they they loaned him out just because of the the sort of chat and the noise around him. But he's had a couple of years back in France, and now he's come back, and it looks like he's going to really stake his claim to partner Gabriel at the heart yeah. of the defense. So um, yeah, I think the best know. about Saliba is the song. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, but. Yeah, no. Um, so, <laughs> well, they're the only team uh, on a max amount of points so far, so nine points uh, from three games. Uh, yeah. They're doing really well. Zinchenko, uh, it's not a surprise to me that stat, uh, he, how many points has picked up, having been at City, uh, especially their 90-point 90, 90 seasons every every year and year and year. Um, yeah. But he's transitioned well over to Arsenal and uh, he's worked under Tetas before, so that's no surprise to me. Uh if Jesus stays fit, um, and then if you for our listeners out there, the flop or not, um, I think it was a podcast too, absolute banger that. So get on it. Um, so we, we, I think we all predicted, even Gareth, the missing man, um, that Jesus will be an absolute hit, and so far has proven to be that. I think he's a uh, 82, 83, 4, 5, 6% of fantasy Premier League manager teams. Um, so you're missing out if you don't have him. Um, but yeah, no, he, he's uh, repaying uh, the Arsenal Football Club for the, the trust they're putting him. Uh, yeah, and I think as well, he. I mean, a lot of the City players who um, spoke about Mikel Arteta only had positive things to say. Sterling had really positive things, you know, worked on his finishing, didn't say anything about Pep. Um, so I think that's probably played a big part as well. I mean, Jesus would have been there when Arteta was just coming in as well. So he's worked with a lot of these guys and he, he probably knows how to get the best out of them as well. And I think, yeah, he needed a reset, like I said. So no, yeah. I'd be interested to see how they go. I mean, look, whether they can maintain it, I still don't think they're necessarily a title challenge, challenger at this point. Um, just given, you know, it could just take a few injuries. But um, I think, you know, I predicted them to be fourth. And I think if they continue this, I think, they're almost a shoe in at this rate, so I don't know what you think. Ah, uh, uh, definitely too early to say that. Um, but they've got the points on the board, um, so they're only going in the right direction, Michael. And just touching one more thing for Jesus leading up to the World Cup to claim that uh, at the moment he's got the number nine shirt um, in the starting eleven um, when it, the, the World Cup hits over Richarlison for me. You know, at the moment, so so far it's a master stroke. In, um, from his uh, manager and himself in his career. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think as well, I, this is this is an interesting one because there seems to be a lot of positivity around Arsenal at the moment. And I don't want to spend too much more time on it because we've got lots to cover. But um, I think Manchester United could take a leaf out of their book in many ways because I think for so long, Arsenal fans were getting so frustrated in this little period, maybe the last four or five years where... They're not making the Champions League or they're only doing Europa League or they're not really winning cups or they might just have not having as much success as they've come become accustomed to, especially under Wenger. Um, do you think as well maybe a mentality change around the club and the expectations is maybe helping Arteta um, and the feel around the club right now? Yeah, well, like um, being that undecided to Pep, uh, well, well, a few years ago now, Pep released a book uh, where he was at uh, Munch, Bayern München um, and then he went to City. So it's the two parts in the book uh, where he had a key journalist um, 
give him the license to actually shadow him um day to day uh and he, and it's an amazing read actually if you get a chance but um uh i think that's what it's quietly what i had done under him uh he goes what what does it look like to be a manager it's like pep went into germany uh he, he learned a bit of german uh who how to as he speak to all the staff members regardless where they are the physios the chefs um so every part of the club how he, he was going to connect it and uh it showed during a little bit of last season. If you ever tune in again on a, I'm not plugging anything. I don't get money from Amazon, but if Amazon Prime, there's a all or nothing uh, Arsenal last year. Obviously, ended a little bit of disappointment. But you see the behind the scenes, and you see what he's actually doing, how he's running that dressing room, how he's talking to the players. All those little moments are finally gelling. Um, three points every game, nine points in total. They're on their way. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I've watched only the first couple episodes, but you can see, yeah, how hard he is working to sort of change it. And he's been in that dressing dressing room as well, which has been quite toxic, mainly around the fans as well. So, um, yeah, I think, look, I think we'll move on to the uh, blue side of Merseyside. So Everton at the moment had quite a poor, poor start. And look, I expected them to probably pick up a little bit more, not, not you know, pulling up any trees, but certainly stay away from relegation. But They've had an interesting start as well. And I think, and then I'll speak about another team with their blunt attack later on, but I think just they're really struggling now, especially you've seen, obviously they've lost for Charleston um, and Calvert-Lewin's injured. And I feel like once those two players are, are not there, then they really tend to struggle and tend to sort of get results. So, um, you know, what have they made of Everton? Uh, what have you made of Everton? And do you think it's going to be more of the same this season? They're going to be scrapping again? Um, yeah, well, like, uh, hopefully we're not playing them next week because we're not still having at Old Trafford. <laughs> um, but, um, and then another one to add to that front three, Michael, is uh, Gordon, my uh, that was my prediction of the young player of the season. Uh, yeah. that little price tag all of a sudden, Chelsea interested in for 60 million pounds. Uh, that's a lot of money, uh, but obviously, if they're getting into that player's head, you know, they, uh, there's no fire uh, without a bit of smoke, isn't there? So uh, I think the links are true. Uh, if it happens or not, that's another story. But um, even that, if your players on a hundred percent set on there, the other two of the front three have gone. All of a sudden, he's saying, "What am I doing here?" Um, and then that shows in the performances, um, and then it shows how they're breaking down up front. Well, I think as well. Unfortunately, with Everton, um, we'll talk about Gordon in a minute because we actually ran a Perth Della Prem poll on our Twitter. So if you want to go follow <laughs> us on Twitter, go have a look. Been doing a little bit of polls lately. It's been some good interactions. A lot of people actually. Um, well, 63% of people reckon that Gordon should leave for Chelsea rather than stay at Everton and develop. So that's an interesting one because I don't know how much game time he'll necessarily get at Chelsea, especially with the signing of Sterling. Um, some of their other options at the moment, Pulisic, he's linked away at the moment, but still, I don't well, know. Well, it might be like the, the um, how he took or signed Saul from Atletico. Uh, how much yeah. game time has he got? He's on the books, you know what I mean? Like uh, he'll get a winner's yeah. medal maybe. But that's 60 million, it, so. that's, oh, that's a lot of money. The English tax. I just, I mean, yeah, people have a... He's English, a, right? English tax. Yeah, well, who will know about that? But I mean, people have a pip at uh, some other teams. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about them for spending money, but um, I'm not sure that's necessarily... You're paying for potential, but I'm not sure he's yeah. he's worth that much. Um, but yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're also paying for the the experience he's had in the Premier League. Um, coming from a foreign league uh, is a bit different. Um, 
but uh, like you say, Jal Felix, he, he went to Atletico, uh, yeah. a lot of money, but now he's like a sort of a man you nearly even uh, triggered his release clause. I think it was like 100, 134 million. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy amounts of money. But uh, saying someone's actually shown it in the Premier League, all of a sudden you're taking a little bit of that risk away. Oh, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me because they've got someone like Callum Hudson-Odoi already on the books, Chelsea product, quite promising. He's had a lot of injuries. Um, actually looks like he's linked with a move away today on loan. I believe it was Bayer Leverkusen. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out and whether whether that's a domino effect with Gordon. But oh, Yeah, just, well, that's yeah, sort of the, another side effect of uh, signing uh, um, players like uh, Raheem Sterling. So yeah. uh, he just puts him the next one down the pecking order. Yeah, and they've got so many attackers. So, uh, look. Anyway, so um, I just what I was going to say on Everton. I just think they've really suffered the past couple of years. I mean, Benitez got a lot of lot of stick last season for not spending too much mm. in the transfer market. But I think you know they've spent so so much money. I haven't got the exact stats on me because I haven't had time to research it. But I think they've really suffered from poor poor spending over the past few years. And now you're starting to see that falling effect on the pitch. Yeah, you know, buying players who haven't made an impact for big big money. Um, and yeah, they're, I think they're, they're working uh, well enough off the pitch. Like they're getting uh, the new stadium, all the plans uh, yeah. have been submitted. Uh, it looks marvelous, to be honest. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's good that they're doing that commercial. So I'm sort of like Tottenham, but all of a sudden now, Tottenham have got that manager. They've got the stadium. So it's yep. easier for if, if it goes right on the pitch, all of a sudden the whole product looks good. Exactly. And that that's it. People are going to look at the on-pitch results more than anything else. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they kind of recover. Um, obviously had that 1-1 draw with Notts Forest, lost at Villa. I think they're a little bit unlucky there. Um, and then Chelsea's a tough game to start the season. So, got Brentford next weekend, which isn't, isn't going to be an easy one, but um, we'll see if they can pick up some points. I think they're going to have to start doing that soon. Um, kind of looking a little bit lower down the table. So, I'm looking at Southampton and Leicester here because interesting transfer windows, um, interesting summers, um, and also their results have been, you know, kind of up and down. But Southampton, people were starting to, there was a lot of sort of murmurs about uh, Ralph Hausenhudel, about maybe he's lost a dressing room and he doesn't really talk to anyone when he goes in. He's been a bit funny with the players. Um, and yeah, like I said, the transfer business as well. A lot of young players, um, not Premier League proven, um, signed a couple of players from my team, Man City as well. Um, you know, what do you make of Southampton start? Because they they did all right the other day. They came back to um, snatch a draw. So, where do you think yeah. they're going to this season? They're going to get stuck in the relegation battle. Yeah, they're they're a funny club, aren't they? Um, sometimes you go to St Mary's and uh, it's, it's really hard to pick up points. Uh, usually, usually they're quite well organised, aren't they? Um, but then they show the times, uh, depends what day you get them on, depends what time of the day, all of a the sudden they're, they're leaking goals, um, yep. which is which is very surprising. Um, like I say, we, I think we've spoken about him. Uh, Will Prowse is probably uh, like the trippier. <laughs> so yeah, there's always a goal threat. Uh, I think he did provide one of the assists for the goals. Um, but they're, they're attacking uh, fullbacks. Is it one of their assets? Um, but then that's got the other side of it, sort of like the Alexander-Arnold debate. Um, when they're good on the ball, obviously, uh, when it goes the other way, they're not so good. Um, and that's really hurting them. Too, too many easy goals. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so I just will note, they did come back for a draw against Leeds and then they actually beat the other team I spoke about, Leicester, who again have had another interesting transfer window. We kind of touched on it in previous podcasts, haven't really done too much business and a lot of key players are linked away. Um, it's interesting for Brendan Rodgers. I feel like that Leicester's probably had a bit of a crossroads and, and Rodgers kind of is in his career too because he's been linked a little a little bit with some, you know, teams higher up the table, maybe some bigger jobs, but it hasn't quite eventuated. Leicester have kind of been pushing on that top eight, um, you know, in those European positions, but I don't know if they're going to quite get there. So what do you make of Leicester? Are they, they kind of um, regressing or do you expect them to recover? What, what are your thoughts? And it looks like Wesley Fofana might go to Chelsea as well, and that's going to be a big lock for them from their defence. So. Yeah. Um, well, so Brendan Rodgers, as I say, as a manager, he he, he plays good football um, when the team are up. He plays good football. He coaches them quite well. Uh, a, lot, a lot of players have spoken about him really highly. Um, but then when, when stuff doesn't go right under his managerial presence, uh, his reaction, um, it, it's, it's not that clear. He, he's not like a pep where he's like, let's keep going with plan A. He's a bit more reactive, but I don't think he reacts in the right way, which affects the way his side, his, their confidence, the way they play football. So, for example, uh, players like Madison, they're playing really well. Uh, he's banged in a couple of goals, I believe. Um, but then here's another one. Uh, he's always on the linked on the move to another club, another Premier League club, and another league. Uh, and and that, that sort of talk is, is pretty concerning. Um, if they didn't pick up that FA Cup, uh, and and with the champions, uh, the community shield as well. So there's a little bit of silverware, um, just get him ticking over to make so not people forget about what he's doing there. But they haven't kicked on, have they? They uh, they were looking good for top four, five, six places in the league a season or two ago, and then uh, when it got to the business end, all of a the sudden they were on the slide, and he he struggles to pick his sides up, Rogers, when they're in that sort of form. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they've they've started like houses on fire the past couple of years, and then then they tend to tail away uh, towards the end of the season. Like you say, once they get on that poor run of form, it just tends to continue on, and it's hard for him to get them out of it as well. I yeah, um, he he did the same thing when uh, he he was at the fourteen fifteen season, I believe, um, when we started well enough uh, at Liverpool, but the same did the same thing at Leicester. Um, he tinkers with formation. Uh, I distinctly remember him changing the back four to then a back five with three centre halves yeah. uh, to stop the goals going in. But obviously, it wasn't well trained um, and, and pretty poor, to be fair. Um, and then he, he has those little moments um, where he reacts. He reacts, reacts in the wrong way, Michael. Um, and I, I don't think that's a good asset, a good trait to have at the moment in the Premier League. Yeah, and like, yeah, exactly right. And I think Leicester have just been that team who have shown promise but never quite kicked on. And I think they've just got to that point now where they've been pushing, pushing, pushing. And unfortunately, things are just starting to fall a little bit. So I'll be interested to see where they kind of end up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too confident about them just yet. Um, alrighty, so, man, you know very well. I'm going to talk about Steven Gerrard because... I spoke about him in, again, just referring back, you know, giving us a big old plug of, of the podcast. 
Um, you know, in previous podcasts, I'm I'm not convinced about Stephen Gerrard. Okay, I think he got the job a lot based on the name. Oh, it's Stephen Gerrard. Now, don't get me wrong; he did a good job at Rangers, but he is he's been backed this season by the board at Aston Villa. They brought in players as well. Um, you know, they they kind of give off this vibe that they're quite an ambitious club and they're looking to push for European positions. Um, you know, in the next couple of years, but they've been really, really poor. And I spoke about Everton before as well. I don't think they were necessarily the best team at Everton. I think Everton just didn't really have the personnel to sort of push on and, no. and really threaten them. But yeah, they couldn't hurt them. Really, really good side, a top side. They're gonna. I think Villa's gonna get battered, to be honest. And I think, yeah, it remains to be seen. And it also, like I said in the last podcast about Tyrone Mings as well, I don't, I don't think Stephen Gerrard's necessarily done himself any favors by removing the captaincy. I don't think it's going to upset the apple cart, even if Tyrone Mings has come out and been really professional with it. So, um, do you think he's under a bit of pressure? Because I think if, if results keep going the way they are, he could be. Yeah, hundred percent, Michael. <laughs> uh, poor Stevie G. Um, no, uh, well, he was he was nailed on to be the next Liverpool manager, wasn't he? But uh, now, no, he's so far away. Uh, I think Frank Lampard's closer. Is <laughs> but um, no, honestly though, he he's got a big job to do. He, he's currently in the middle of it. Um, Ollie Watkins is probably him and maybe a bit of Danny Ings up front. Only po- the people posing the threat. Philip Coutinho, I think, came off injured, didn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, I did predict that for. Uh, he would be one of the flops, Coutinho, and you boys were a bit surprised again in our earlier pods. But um, you take him away, all of a sudden that, that little hype around the little magician, who's filling that void, who's creating uh, a bit of a difference in play going mm-hmm. forward. It's a, it's a bit predictable and other teams are finding it easy to defend against, Michael. Well, it's funny you say that because, yeah, Gareth and I were quite surprised about that. But I was looking – well, I was watching the game against Everton last week and um, we had we had Buendia come on for Coutinho. And Buendia, yeah, Buendia he changed scored, it, didn't he? he? Changed the game. Yeah. So it's interesting to see because he's he's quite an interesting player as well. I quite like Buendia from his time at Norwich. He yeah, he's very, the- very uh, attack-minded forward to runs. Uh, yeah. uh, he, he came on and uh, all of a sudden – same sort of like because uh, watch uh, – a lot of youth when he was playing um reminds me a bit more direct but sort of like the curtis jones he picks the ball up and then he runs out the box all of a sudden uh you're not passing sideways anymore and then the defense is under pressure oh we know we weren't ready for this yeah i think he's just got that south american tenacity as well that you sort of associate with attacking players from there and um you know i think he's probably been a little bit unlucky not to get too many more opportunities he started last season kind of on and off, and then obviously Coutinho came in and had that impact. But I mean, I think he's a he's a really really exciting player, and I think it could be interesting to see if he kind of kicks on now and solidifies. Yeah, his it's all about consistency in. for him. I think. Um, well, like like most yeah. players, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, I mean, people are probably going to say, "Oh, well, Coutinho is uh, you know, and Steven Gerrard are mates." So there's another thing there. It's just <laughs> lots of clouds and lots of no, nah, um, no, um, knowing Stephen um, from from the outside still, but uh, knowing Stephen, uh, that's definitely not something he, he'd, uh, he, he'd admit for one, but uh, I don't think he, he, he manages players in that way. Yeah, okay. that Interesting, interesting. Um, now, again, so just like I said, we're just kind of kind of going to talk about the teams a little bit. So it's impressive teams um, and some of their results as well. Now, another team that's done really well 
um, is Brighton. And obviously, yeah. there's been a lot of talk around Graham Potter. There's always uh, rumours or murmurs, you know, maybe go to a bigger club. Uh, maybe he'll manage England, replace Gareth Southgate one day as well. Um, for me, they're just such a really good side to watch. And just some of the football that they play as well, you know, some of the movements forward, um, you know, they, they don't really sit back as well. And they just, um, you know, they're just easy on the iron. For a team that's sort of lower down the table, it's really good to see him sort of come out and have a go and be successful with that. And they beat another team as well who I'll probably talk about a little bit later on West Ham being a little bit disappointing. So I think that's a massive result. So where do you kind of see Brighton finishing up maybe? Or, you know, what have you made of their start to the season? What's your thoughts on Graham Potter as well? Yeah, um, I definitely see them finishing the top half of the table. Uh, they play really uh, attractive football. Uh, a lot of one-touch passing, confident in movement off the ball. Um that pass lane is always open, hence they play that one-two touch system. Um, and the players are really comfortable of where they should be on the pitch to receive the pass. And then as soon as they lose her, how quickly do you see them uh, compact and uh, make it really difficult? And they um, they always want to win that ball back quickly. Usually the, you, you, you say that for the bigger teams. Um, it's a bit more normal to have the possession. Uh, but they're really, really, I think Tassad, his goal um, on the weekend came straight down the middle. Uh, it was a little flick in behind. Um, he, he took one touch in the box and it was an absolute um, classy finish. He's a class player. Um, but even uh, Kreuz, uh, he he's really confident in the midfield. Um, he's got a couple of goals against United um, and it's showing it's showing their their work showing the managers are really good um and the players are feeding off his philosophy of football yeah definitely and um i think obviously like i said he's done a really really good job there and a lot was kind of made of he's changed the team around quite a bit and obviously i think they've done really well recruitment wise as well which is again showing they've lost kukurea so they've gone in and signed another left back now is quite promising from uh la liga um, and yeah, I think I think just their recruitment's been exceptional and the players that have come out and then the players that they brought in. So you look at some of the older players in those teams, you Danny Welbeck's playing a role. Lalana's come back in a little bit more this season. Yeah. He's probably he's probably yeah. not kicked on too much there. He's had some injury troubles, but you know, they've got a good blend of sort of experience and youth in that team. That uh, Alexis Yeah, clever, clever footballers. Yeah, so very clever footballers. Um less of extent, but it sort of reminds me when uh, Alex Ferguson Regardless of who he played, if he played Carrick, if he played uh, Park Jing Sung, whoever, Anderson, whoever he put in, plugged into those positions on uh, match day, they did their job. They knew their role. Uh, they knew where to pass. They were confident. And they didn't uh, do the Cristiano Ronaldo and dribble 10 people. They just played smart football. And I think uh, Brighton are doing exactly the same thing. They lost to Correa. Wow, how are they going to fill that position? Obviously, he's training them really well on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just looking here. Yeah, the, um, as I said before, Alexis McAllister as well, relatively unknown player. He's come in and he's done really well for him. Probably what's well, going to speak about the team of the week soon or the, the team of the past couple of weeks. And I think he's he's certainly going to feature there as well. So, yeah, no, nah, really exciting to see Brighton and um, see where they kind of end up as well and see if they can just maintain consistency because I think their main problem has been the past couple of years is that, I mean, even against some of the bigger sides, they've, they've dominated, they've had chances, but they've never been quite able to put them away. I think being clinical um, has been sort of an issue for them, but so far, so good for Brighton. Um, 
I was going to talk about some other teams, but I kind of want to skip on to Chelsea. So pretty, pretty poor result at the weekend. 3-0 to Leeds, which obviously they, they lost Koulibaly to a red card. Um, and like I said about the defense, they're probably still trying to figure it out. It was an interesting lineup. If I'm going through it, they had Ruben Loftus' cheek at wing back, which, I mean, if I'm a Chelsea fan, that probably doesn't really do too much for me. Um, and then they obviously dropped points against Spurs, which the way Spurs are playing is not necessarily a bad result. But, you know, I, I don't think, I don't know if they're really up for a, really, a strong season. What do you think? Is it more of a blip for Chelsea or is it um, a sign of things to come? Yeah, no, um, I think they'll get back on track. Uh, against Tottenham, actually, uh, the, the, I think they deserve, if it was, had to pick one of the two teams to take all three points, I think they I played better football on the day. Um, Leeds, however, it, it was an absolute uh, horror show, <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, so I'd take away Koulibaly's red. Um, I think even if they had a full 11 men on the pitch, they would have still got to be at least 2-0. Um, yeah, they apart from signing all these new players, you, you, they need to learn the system. Uh, but usually, with the with the classier players, if you're that good, you can come in and you can you read the game and you, you read others' uh, thoughts and the way they play football a lot easier than say someone who's less inexperienced. So that's also surprises me a bit. You're telling me uh, if you put Sterling up front, obviously Lukaku's not there, Werner's not there, but Havertz, um, you link in those two footballers together, you link, link him on a five-a-side that never played, they, they, they come the same night, um, there'll be some chemistry naturally because they're just such top talents, aren't they? Um, so that's the little concern for me. Um, Managerial-wise, uh, he's been a bit emotional, Chukul. Um, and I think that's filtering a little bit through to his players. Unfortunately, he, he tried to show a strong hand against Conte, who's really, really emotional uh, manager on the on the touch. But um, usually, if a manager exhibits those sorts of behaviours, um, the players obviously are feeding off it, and there may be a disharmony um, in somewhat in the in the, in, the, in the squad. Yeah, definitely. And look, I will point out, I think, to be honest, against Spurs, they probably had arguments, maybe the better side. And look, we could talk about VAR as well, because I think that's another interesting talking point with that game as well. Um, they were probably a little bit unlucky. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it. Kukurea had his hair pulled, which for me, I don't care how long his hair is. If you're pulling someone's He's hair... He's never going to cut it, Michael, he said. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, and then Mike Dean as well, an experienced Premier League referee who's now retired, hung up the boots, and now he's in the VAR room to come out and say in a newspaper column, I don't know if you saw it, but he come out and said in a newspaper column that, oh, maybe I did make a mistake. For me, that's really, really poor on his behalf as well. <laughs> and you know what? They've got all the tools in the world to see this. And for yeah, me, uh, well, it was the reason it was wasn't in the same phase of play, or it was it was something silly. But I'm like, surely so, that's what VAR was brought in to do. So I, I the, a little contentious bit, issue VAR, isn't it? I think um, <laughs> when it first came in, uh, it was very subjective, and it still is. But um, it, it the way they're drawing the lines is a little bit more lenient, um, unless it's clear and obvious. Uh, I don't think they're going to overturn it as much. For something that the goal line technology or I'm saying like say tennis hawkeye uh that is absolutely nailed on 
uh, black or white, where VAR, it's still human error at the end of the day. They're, they're freezing the frame. What angle is the camera on to the play? It's not dead in line. Um, what type of lines they use? How thick are these lines? Where are they projecting it from? Is it from the shoulder? You see the one Van Dyke um, versus, I think it was Rashford before he scored his goal. Uh, if, if you That frame that they froze for the VAR, um, Rashford's foot was well in front of Van Dyke's, but they took that dotted line from the shoulder and all of a sudden it's onside. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's a tough one to call. And so I don't think you can say it's VAR. It's not VAR. It, it's not the technology. Who's making that decision once they drop in those lines? It's humans. So I think it's the the, the fourth officials, um, those officials in the, the VAR room, they're the ones, not to blame necessarily, it's a, it's a tough job, isn't it? But um, they're, they're the ones who are making these final calls in the moment, in the heat of the moment. Uh, how many thousands of fans in these stadiums waiting for this decision to come up on the scoreboard? Yeah. Um, they're under pressure. Well, I wouldn't want to do the job, but it is. It's, it's human error. So I don't think we should blame it is VAR. VAR is a problem. It's, it's given an extra tool to make well, the correct decision. I think you make an interesting point. Maybe the technology is there, but maybe the implementation probably isn't um obviously these guys have got tough jobs and they're probably just doing what they've been told to do and how to implement it but for me i just think i just think yeah it's it's just not been implemented properly as well and um i'll talk about trippier's red card as well a little bit later on um same sort of thing it just feel i don't know what what is clear and obvious as well because that for me there's just too much gray area because even though you've got someone on the pitch making decisions yes there's rules but some sometimes is at their discretion as well and it's sort yeah, of objective. Yeah, well, so, yeah, well that, 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 to be honest now, um, I don't think there's many good uh, referees in the Premier League. Uh, <laughs> you know, take away Clattenburg, who was the last good one, wasn't he? Um, the rest of them, they all have their little moments uh, and the way they – and it's fine because that's the way football is. Um, they have their own, uh, say, way, their own technique, their own thoughts of how they should uh, ref the games. Um, some refs uh, – don't show any cards at all. Some, uh, especially the bigger games, they're trying to set my that thing. tempo of, of challenges. Yeah, go for it. Come in. I was going to say, yeah, Mike, Mike Dean loves to show a card. Yeah, um, and, and some people do to say, no, it's my game. I'm the one in charge. You listen to me. Where other refs, let it go. Um, and then they let the, um, the flow of the game go, which is good for football, which is good for viewing. But sometimes they need to make these calls. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. And to be honest, we kind of went a little bit off topic there. And we could we could talk about VAR for hours. And I'm sure many football podcasts have been through the same sort of problem. But just to finish off with Chelsea and um, and their sort of results. Um, and, you know, I will talk about Spurs because we probably should talk about Spurs as well. I think, um, and I said this in our group chat the other day, I said to Gareth, I, I think Spurs are probably that one new result against Wolves. You know, to be fair, they didn't really play that well. I think Wolves, they look very, very blunt up front. They were sort of going forward, but I think they struggled without the focal point because they didn't have Jimenez yeah. in there. Um, they did create a couple of opportunities, but they probably just didn't have that cutting edge. But Spurs, um, you know, a little bit more resilience than we've seen in previous seasons. Um, you know, do you think they can kind of maintain the fight this season? Similar to Arsenal, um, people aren't really sure. But, you know, I, I think they're showing a little bit more grit and determination, especially when they're not playing well. And that's a sign of a good side. So, um what do you make of Spurs after the first couple of weeks? Yeah, um, I, I watched the 
the Wolves game. Uh, and first half, Wolves, Wolves looked really good. Uh, second half, uh, they had that focal point, like you said, with Jimenez coming on, leading the attack. Uh, was a little bit too late because I, I think they didn't have the legs um, to support him when they got up the pitch. But um, at Tottenham alone, uh, these games picking up points, same as Arsenal, which is great. Um, and I think all these little games, all these little moments, experience for the players, not for the manager. The manager's done it before. Um, it's for the players. Um, so they're learning. Uh, so when it comes to the crunch later on in the season, the business end of the season, uh, I think Conte can draw upon these um, in his pre-game, uh, um, not press conferences, uh, team talks in the dressing room uh, when he's bringing on subs. Um, in those little moments to pick up those extra points later on, um, he's a major manager and it's, it's not a coincidence of how they started. It just looks like he's got links to the to mafia. He's so intimidating. He's pretty scary on the touchline as well. So, um, now nah, look, he's, oh, a, I love he's that. a great manager. I love that, Mike. Get, yeah. No, I'm, sorry, what was that? I love that. I love the, the emotion. I love the way he, uh, he, he <laughs> I love the managers that, that, that show their team how much it means to them. And then the crowd absolutely feed off that. Yeah, and it's probably, this is not Premier League related, but similar to someone like a Simeone as well. Like you can see they just... Yeah. Their passion sort of radiates to the players. And look, it's good to see Tottenham doing well. And you can see he's really got them ticking there because it's not... Well, he nearly left unless Levy gave him the funds, didn't he? In the transfer market. Um, (laughs) That's how much of the... How much pull he has. Well, I think if you're Daniel Levy, though, as well, you've got to kind of go, well, if I'm not going to give him money, who am I going to give money to? Sort of thing, you know? I think it's going to be one of those things. Managers aren't going to want to go there, though. That's the thing. No. So... Um, and yeah, we'll just finish on those two. So Conte versus Tuchel. So I've got some quotes here because that was, I mean, for me, I love that sort of stuff. Again, we spoke about passion and um, maybe it can be redirected in the wrong way sometimes. But, you know, you could see that meant a lot to the managers. Obviously, a little bit going on there that we maybe didn't exactly see. I, I didn't watch the game just given the time of night um, being in Australia. But Tuchel made some interesting comments and maybe it suggests that he's under a little bit of pressure. I'll get your thoughts in a sec. So Tuchel said on Anthony Taylor, maybe it'd be better if he didn't referee a Chelsea game again. So he's been charged for his comments. Well, what do you make of that? You've got to be careful what you say to the media, especially about referees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I like it. <laughs> I, I think... Um, it, 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 they're going to say it won't. The the the, the ref uh, association, uh, what do you call them? Uh, they're going to say no, no. That stuff doesn't affect us. You telling me that next time that came comes around, he's uh, coming up against uh, Tottenham. He's going to watch his whistle. The same thing used to happen with Ferguson. Um, how many times did he uh, ref name drop in the pre-game uh, interviews? Um, and mix up a bit of media storm um game comes around all of a sudden you're not getting calls all of a sudden the whistles away um it is very tactical it's uh he's done it before like i said um um and i think it'll work work well for him yeah definitely um yeah like i say though you just got to be careful what you do say especially about referees because um the fa obviously likes to, to give them a little bit more protection as well so uh, there's obviously a little bit more beef going on, especially on social media, which I think it's always interesting when you see a manager on social media to sort of have their two cents worth. You know, it reminds us that they are humans as well and they do actually care. 
Um, so I don't know if you saw, there was a picture of uh, Tuchel and look, he was maybe tripping over and Conte's posted a photo of it on <laughs> yeah, social media <laughs> and he said, lucky I didn't see you, making you trip over would have been well-deserved. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, that's how a rivalry sparks, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but um, he's, he's not holding back. No, it's it's good to see. Like I say, I, lo- I love the passion from the managers as well and um you know, it's it's good to see. I mean, some people might say it's bad, bad role models and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, look, sometimes football these days as well can be a little bit too sanitized, I think. And it, it's good to see the passion come out in the players and the managers. So they'll get getting around it. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Well, I think with the players play. more so, I think about the role model thing. I think that's a little issue actually. Like, um, so they have to really. The, 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 you don't reckon uh, these little children boys and girls uh, they look up to these heroes absolute heroes to them try and mimic them um and i i, I think it less of extent it goes to the managers mike but um yep. they still have that uh, responsibility um to do uh so hopefully uh for me i love it for others maybe it's a bit more of an issue yeah definitely um all right so we'll just finish off the sort of just going over the results and some of the teams. So um, I'm going to stick with Manchester City just quickly because I don't want to talk about them for too long. Um, it's been business as usual, really. But I want to talk about Newcastle as well. So it was an interesting game. And the reason why I brought it up is mainly because of Haaland. You know, Newcastle, by the way, played really, really well. The tune were up for it. The fans were up and about. It was, it was great, um, you know, watching that. Normally in that situation, if I'd be, be at the TV just shouting and being frustrated. But... You know, the way Newcastle played, it was a real joy to see. And they, they went at us. And Eddie Howe, I think he's done a really, really good job there, um, considering some of the doubts that maybe he came came there with, um, or certainly from opposition fans and maybe even Newcastle fans. So um, I don't know if you saw the game, Michael, but what do you make of uh, Newcastle and their sort of start to the season? They had a had a um, draw, a couple of draws, a win. Yeah, I, I didn't see the game, actually. Uh, the, like you said, living in Australia, it's a bit hard to watch all of them. Yeah. Um, but apparently it was a game of the, not the round, but the game of the recent past, uh, 3-3. Uh, <laughs> was it City went two goals behind, uh, one to the Trippier free kick and um, put them 3-1 ahead. Uh, City's always going to come back. They do. You just know it. You have that feeling. They they they, they just tip that game over, don't they? Um, but a bit surprised. I think there's like 20 minutes left, and they couldn't find that winner. So you got to give credit to Newcastle. Uh, obviously, they're at home, start of the season. Uh, <laughs> they're up and about. Um, made some good signings. Uh, Eddie Howe. Uh, he got poached, didn't he, from uh, Bournemouth? Was it? And. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, again, you look at Bournemouth now. They did get promoted fine, but obviously he's a really good manager. Um, so he, he's working uh, wonders there at the moment. I think the influx of cash, the new management uh, is all, even the women's team now is under that main management. So the, yep. the, the main, uh, that's the way, it's not the same way structure, but they can access that sort of funds. Um so all the clubs pulling in the right direction and it's definitely showing on the football pitch. 
Yeah, it's interesting um, you say that as well. And um, just looking at this game, so St. Maximin, for me, he he's an exciting player. I've always quite liked him, but he's been one of those players. He's a little bit hit, a little bit missed. A lot of Newcastle fans will probably tell yeah. you, you know, he's just up and down, up and down. Don't know what you're kind of going to get, but when he's on, he's on. And, I mean, I, we were talking again about England right-backs the other day, and for me, Carl Walker is probably still still the best, maybe not from an ta- attacking sense, but defensively. Um, but, I mean, he gave Carl Walker a torrid time. That's probably the, one of the worst games I've seen Carl Walker play for us. So that's certainly a compliment to him. And I also find it quite funny as well. I don't know if you saw at the end of last season, um, Manchester City's title celebrations. Jack Grealish, um, as he usually is, he finds himself in the papers a little bit intoxicated, had a few had a few drinks. Um, he said something, I think it was Mares or Bernardo Silva he said it to. Well, lucky you came off because you were playing like Almiron. Funnily enough, we all knew it was going to happen then, didn't we? Almiron scores, doesn't he? He played quite well. So um, maybe just keep your mouth shut, Jack. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, look, they played really, really well. Um, one, one point I want to make about City, um, you mentioned there how they, you know, 64th minute we equalised. So, you know, plenty of time left in the game. And I think Newcastle at that point, a lot of their fans are probably happy with a draw considering, yeah. you know, oh, you know they, they, they thought they did quite well. But once it was 3-3, I think they would have settled for that. Um, but, you know, Pep didn't bring on any subs. And he's quite a funny one. The first few games, he's brought on five subs. But then um, a lot last season, you kind of saw him. He was calling for five subs, but he'd only bring one on. So I think that was probably poor from Pep there not to bring on someone else. I mean, but the thing is, this is, this is what I said in our... Uh, pre-season predictions we've lost characteristics you know Bernardo Silva played on the right wing you take him off you're going to bring on um, maybe Alvarez for a little bit of pressing um, something different but then you, the only other option you've got is Riyad Mahrez Cole Palmer's injured um, you know there's just not much difference there so I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out but um, and just lastly yeah. an, another point I don't think we come back last season um, I mean, okay, we did we did do it against West Ham, but we've had some trouble with comebacks lately. Um, I don't think without Erling Haaland that doesn't happen because for me that that goal to get it three two, we've just been missing that sort of focal point, having someone there to sort of tap in those half chances. And he had more, and he created half chances. And once it clicks, it, it's you know we're going to have a lot more opportunities to score those goals from nowhere, which we haven't always had lately. Yeah, well, going back to one of the just previous point before that that you're saying i think the top managers um it's something that they all do uh the longer the game goes uh the the, the less they try and uh, change it well they change it from the bench when they really need to or they think it's going to impact it but usually if they're quite happy with the players they have on the pitch um that cohesion and especially if the other teams um are making those changes um, usually that pressure will tell if they keep piling on that pressure, getting up the pitch. Usually they will break down the other people's defence with that same set of players. Um, talking on behalf of my team, uh, Klopp, that he does that a lot. He does. He didn't do it on the weekend. Uh, I think with uh, personnel, it's a little bit more difficult. But if you had the likes of Thiago in the middle, uh, well, like Real Madrid do it, for example, um, they keep them. Well, before Casemiro, obviously now gone, but him, Modric, um, they, they they give them the license to say, hey, it's the 80th minute, you have 10 left, keep chipping away, keep passing, keep putting on that pressure. Um, and I think Pep does the same. Sometimes, like you said, uh, he doesn't make that sub, he might get criticised for it. Um, and it, it doesn't work. 
but but the other way around when it when it does come off um that's why they do it so yeah. it's it's not a coincidence um going back to the personnel thing if you're going to take someone else you're going to replace them uh, with the five subs now, I think all people, I know it was done in the Champions League in Europe, but all the people now in the Premier League, they have to get used to tactically, when are they going to introduce these players? Yeah. If you're down a goal, uh, it might give you another option. Uh, if you, for example, happen, Man U, very clever, Ten Hag, well done. Um, they made subs and disrupt that constant pressure from the team with 20 minutes left to try and get that goal to equalize. Do you know what I mean? Uh, And I think it it works both ways. Um, And so that say uh, a team like Wolves, they work so hard. They only really have what a squad of 15, 16, 17 good players. Um, They're working really hard just to grind out like a draw against city, for example, when the game gets longer and longer and longer, they can't close that space. They can't close formation. They can't press. What do they do? They only had three subs. You may use two of them. Someone might have got injured. Now you've got five, Mike. So you're replacing those people with fresh legs. Hey, this is what you've trained. Just keep that system ticking. Yep. So it, it can work on both sides of the coin. Uh, and I think Premier League managers and players, um, it's still early days and they're both finding out what's the best way that we can use this to our advantage? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to ask about Harlem, but I think just for the sake of time, we'll probably move on. Been a bit of talk about how many touches he has. I think he's averaging a goal or assist every 17 touches, which, you know what, that's not too bad by my books. Um, and his link-up play was actually quite interesting to see. So um, so what we'll do, um, before we'll take a break in a minute, but what we'll do first is we'll have a look at the league table and just see how that's shaping up. I'll just get your thoughts on it uh, very quickly, Michael. So you just want to do top top six and then um, sort of the bottom six? We can just do that or do you want to go over everyone? Uh, yeah, we, we can do that. So do you want to start with the, the top six? Yep. All right. So at the top, we've got Arsenal, City, Leeds, Tottenham, Brighton, Newcastle. That's that rounds out the top six. Any surprises there, um, or is it more of just a case the start of the season? Things haven't balanced out yet. Yeah, no, I, I, things definitely haven't balanced out yet. Um, the one for me will say Newcastle one win, um, drop points in two of the games, and, and they're in the six. So I, I think that's down to the likes of uh, teams like uh, Leicester, who are actually second last, West Ham, who are last. And Liverpool, uh, um, Chelsea were twelve, so these these teams haven't uh, settled in and come up. Yeah, and then you've just mentioned them: West Ham, Leicester, Wolves, um, Everton, Liverpool. So that's the bottom. Oh, sorry, and Bournemouth. That's the bottom six. Yes. Okay, so any surprises there? I mean, obviously Liverpool's probably one. Um, I think West Ham's a big one to be down there as well. I, Gareth said, and I said as well. I think they'll probably kick on and. They've been really tough to beat, and they they made some signings, but I don't know if they've really had the desired impact just yet. So, what do you think about um, David Moyes' start with West Ham this season? Yeah, uh, it's it's not very good. Uh, th- three losses out of three. Um, the the one I put down uh, was at uh, West Ham City first game of the season. That was my game of the round. Uh, it, it was. It was. It was. A, I think it was a two-nil away victory to City on the night. Yeah. Um, cool. And yeah, it, it was. 
it was an easy, easy victory. And and then the that has followed on. Um, they've conceded five goals. Uh, yeah. They haven't haven't scored. I don't think they've scored any. Oh no, they've scored five so as well. Sorry, West Ham yeah, so, have conceded five goals and not scored one. They've not scored a goal. They know. Sorry, yeah, they're not scored. So I was right. Yeah, so that, that they then they can be leaking goals, and that um, they can't get any. So that well, that's a that's a great recipe, isn't it? <laughs> For me, it's interesting though that I mean, Antonio has obviously kind of carried that team on his back quite a bit at some point. Um, but they've signed Skamaka as well for big money and he's not really had much of a look and he scored the other night in um, a European qualifying game but you know you're spending that money on a player just throw him in there and see what he can do Um, I think they need to definitely change things very quick all right so what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break have a listen to this absolute banger and then Michael and I will be back soon with our game in focus I'm sure Liverpool Man United fans are going to love this one all right, so stick with us. You're listening to the Perth Della Prem podcast, and we'll be right back.
and we're back. So our game in focus, it's a new segment, I think we'll run it and see how it goes. Um, you know, obviously the nature of the podcast, sometimes it's hard to kind of brush over a lot of teams, but we want to try pick out some of the results. Technical difficulties there, but we are back. So, like I said, we kind of want to pick out one game from every couple of weeks that we sort of review um, and just sort of pick apart sort of some of the players that maybe impressed that made this result, some of the key stats behind it. Could be some of the top teams, could be a surprise result, could be an important one, whether it's relegation battle, title. Um, but the game we picked, and again, we're not a Liverpool and City podcast, but I think it would be a miss for us not to speak about Liverpool and Manchester United. So, first thing I want to do, just before I do talk about this. So, if you're a Manchester United fan, I'm seeing all over social media right now, the vibes completely changed around Manchester United. Things are looking a lot more positive. But for me, there's still so, so much work for them to do. And for me, they're just a, they're just a shambles from top to bottom. Okay, uh, You've obviously got the good result here. Um but I feel like it's been quite symptomatic of Manchester United over the past couple of years, especially under Solskjaer, um, maybe not so much Ragnuk, but they kind of get these results and pick these results up where they maybe not expected to and they pull off a masterclass um, and they kind of keep the fans at arm's length 
Um, and perhaps as well, maybe the board as well, sort of, you know, changing their stance. So, you know, Manchester United, I wanted to talk about them. I didn't speak too much about them in um, our sort of results overview. But I don't know, Michael, what do you make of Manchester United? Because <clears throat> it's already been rumours and leaks coming out of the club about Eric Ten Hag not being happy. And he, I saw something last week, whether it's true or not, um, that he'd be happy to hand in his resignation if they if they don't want him here already. And for me, that's just a sign of the club, symptomatic of everything that's happened over the past few years. Um, because it sounds like Eric Ten Hag, and it's been leaked by his people as well, by the sounds of it, that he wasn't backed in the transfer market by the Manchester United board. And he perhaps hadn't got the players in that he was expecting. Talk about your Frankie de Jong's, uh, your Anthony from Ajax as well, and <clears throat> maybe a couple of other players. It looks like they, um, I saw this morning, possibly could be signing the Barcelona right back, Sergino Dest, which could be a good signing. Um, but for me, it doesn't really matter how many signings they make. Um, things need to change at the top because a little bit like Chelsea, I feel like they're just throwing money at things and kind of hoping it sticks without having a structured long-term plan. So what do you make of the state of affairs at Manchester United just before we get into a little bit about Liverpool and Ten Hag as well? Yeah, um, I think one big thing about the Manchester United at the moment is their owners. So there was protests against the Glazers pre-game. So that's the first thing. Uh, it did Liverpool had to have a decoy bus <laughs> last time they versed Liverpool as well. The game was delayed, uh, so it's not a uh, it's a known thing amongst the supporter base. Um, but they wanted out. Um, the stadium's apparently well below par now. It used to be uh, state of the art, um, the leading one in England. Uh, well, that's definitely changed. The landscape at Manchester United has changed completely. Um, did you see Gary Neville on uh, Monday Night Football? Uh, this is Manchester United. So he's absolutely shocked <laughs> of where they've come as a club. Uh, they splash a lot of cash. But I think a lot of that cash, however, is just their revenue on uh, as they are as a commercial club. So they're, they're well-liked uh, and they're well-publicised throughout the world that they're going on tours uh, to, they came to Australia, um, they went to Asia, uh, in Singapore, this huge fan base, um, huge fan base in India and the like. Um, so they're getting, they can make that one. So for example, uh, Southampton, if they bought a player for 50 million, wow, that would be their, their, their top uh, player of the transfer market, wouldn't it? Uh, for Manchester United, they had that 50 million every summer, every off season, um, just based on um, where they are as a club off the pitch. So that commercial side of it, that, that revenue that they're getting, um, the owners put it back into the transfer market, that's fine. The thing that they're upset about, Mike, is that the owners don't actually dip their hands into their own pockets, yeah. how rich they are. And, and I think that's upsetting a lot of the Manchester United supporter base. Um, for example, Frankie De Jong, like you mentioned, uh, they do have the money, obviously. They have the money to sign him, but I think, uh, well, signing Casemiro, I think he's on 365 million, um, uh, a, a, a thousand pound a week, which is uh, <laughs> the Gaia levels. Um, Only a thousand. Um, that's, that's crazy money. It's absolutely yeah. Easy money when when you say uh, like the top owner at Liverpool, Salah is, is, is nowhere near that, no. um, and he's arguably the best player in the world. 
um, so that they they have that money to splash on players. Uh, they but they chose not to spend that extra twenty million to get De Jong for Sim. Well, so just on De Jong, sorry, Michael, just to interrupt, but. I think it's been quite apparent for quite some time that De Jong clearly doesn't want to go to Manchester United because, I mean, obviously there's a whole deferred wages thing. I think Man United even said they'll they'll pay it, they'll they'll waive it, they'll sort it out, and he still didn't want to come. So I think it's really poor by the club to keep targeting these players and certain types of players when they either don't want to come or maybe they don't fit the club because I think as good as Cas- Casemiro has been and and he could possibly be for Manchester United. Speak about his wages there. He's 30 years old. As well, you know, if you ask, me- I think it's more the project for Casemiro. Um, he's won it all, hasn't he? Um, where Dion hasn't, uh, so it's easier for that sell for Casemiro um, in a different country. Um, like Dion's already moved on, uh, so that is his new adventure. Where Casemiro, it, if it fails, it, he can't. It's like a free shot for him. Uh, I think going there, um, having the likes of Saveran, etc around him, uh, Fred, whatever. Um, so he, he's a little bit more familiar. It's a bit more, more of a free hit. Do you think he would have gone there without the wages, though? I'm no, not saying he's necessarily... No, no. No way. No way. Yeah. Money talks. Um, so. and, but that's what Manchester United do. That's why they haven't fallen off the face of the earth um, because regardless, they don't want to come to the club, but we can pay you this. Um, I think that's the only difference now with Ronaldo. Um, he's not getting that game time uh, where now he, he's made up his mind. Just no one wants to. <laughs> yeah. I think with Ronaldo, though, that's clearly not helping. If I'm a Manchester United fan, obviously one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest player of all time. But I think he's having a negative impact on that team. And look, clearly frustrated because he is a winner. You've seen it before whether he does that with the national team. He's done it with Real Madrid, some of the biggest teams in the world, some of the most successful teams. But, um, you know, walking off at halftime or leaving the ground during a preseason game, I don't think he was the only one. But for me, that's not really setting the right example. And it's maybe, you know, this is where Ten Hag is maybe, he could make his mark and say, look, Cristiano, the, the club, you know, the club's bigger than you, mate. It's good if you've been. You need to think about the team and the club here. Um I think he really needs to put his foot down. I think he's protected him quite well in the media, but for yeah. me, it's not, it's not good for that dressing room. And I think, Man I think the the offset of uh, signing Casemiro, especially the week where they lost four 0 to Brentford, um, just give gave the club a, a bit of a lift going into um, the last game. Uh, the, those little things on Berlin in front of the fans just before the game, just before kickoff. Uh, <laughs> then you see uh, Roy Keane going over. Um, and then those little things uh, that they, uh, I think, they overshadowed uh, the Ronaldo situation at the moment. Even though, like you said, it's it have a bad effect on the on the club. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it'd be interesting to see. I think this result personally is kind of papered over the cracks a little bit for the time being. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of stats. So obviously they lost at Brentford four 0 as you mentioned. For me, they just don't have the personnel to play out out of out the back. Um, well, they, they, they bench Maguire, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so they've got the new centre back partnership. Well, I think it's good for him though, just to get him out the firing line. Um, and obviously, Varane's a, a you know exceptional defender. It's not quite worked out for him, but I spent a lot of on money on Martinez as well. So, you yeah. know, I think he's he's got to try things, and obviously, it worked for this game. It'll be remains to be seen how yeah. it kind of works for the the rest of the season, but. Um, 
yeah, I think Maguire is just he just had to get out the firing line and um being the captain as well, you can still lead from the bench. Um but yeah, I think he just really needed that sort of sort of break. But just I just again I just don't think um yeah, like I said, personnel's quite right. David De Gea doesn't look comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, there's been murmurs as well at the club, lots of things about Dean Henderson maybe being assured of more game time. I'm seeing him for Nottingham Forest right now, who, so, sorry, Nottingham Forest fans, didn't mention too much of. Um, but I think he's been exceptional for them so far. Whether he can play out the back, I'm not too sure. But he, yeah. he made exceptional saves. And he's for me, if you're Man United, you need to rebuild this team. You don't need to stick around with these 30-plus players, 30-plus-year-old players. Obviously, that goalkeepers last a bit longer than sort of an outfield player. But for me, I'd be looking forward to the future if I was that goal. Yeah, the problem about Manchester United, they uh, they look for success, which is quite instant. Um, and and that, that's what they've been uh, lacking and that's been uh, their, sort of the poison in the club um, recently, um, hence the, the rapid change of managers, uh, players in and out the door. Um, so that sort of a profile of what um, the, the owners, hence like one of them out, um, have built at the club. Um, I, the Premier League's definitely shifted since then and it's shifted how uh, consistent um, managers like uh, Pep when um, what they've done in the Premier League um, is just not a three-season uh, window like a Mourinho used to do anymore. Yeah. Um, they can't just win something and move on where I think they're still in that mentality. Yeah, I think that's that's been their biggest problem, to be honest, is um, looking for the instant success, short-term planning, not having a long-term plan. And I think this is where Arsenal have kind of done well to sort of rejuvenate themselves. So they've gone, you know what? We're not going to be title challengers. We're going to be struggling to get top four. We need to rebuild this side and bring in some young, hungry players. Um, and I think Manchester United could really benefit from that. You know, not just throwing money at at whatever and whatever sort of player and hoping it sticks. And undoubtedly, they've got a good squad. But it's all it, for me. It's all very mishmash. Um, it's not really constructed. And I think Ten Hag could could be a good manager to sort of build a side. But I think you know things have to change at the top. And like you say, the ownership as well. For me, Manchester United to those owners, the Glazers. Is more of a cash cow. They're not really dipping in um, to their own pockets. They're just using using revenue. Um, I think they own an American football team, um, and they seem quite invested in that. Spend quite a bit of money on that, and I think that's probably rightly so. Where Manchester United fans could be aggrieved. Um, so yeah, just a couple of things as well. I think their work rate was pretty poor against Brentford. They were outran by thirteen kilometers, which is massive. <laughs> Um, but then on the flip side, maybe this is where Manchester United fans are getting a little bit more giddy and excited. Um, they ran overall as a team 19 kilometres more than they did. So as a combined distance uh, against yeah. Liverpool. So for me as well, if I'm a Manchester United fan, and I'm sure Manchester United fans feel this way, you know, if you're putting in the effort, every the intensity, the desires there, the work rate, then you're not going to be as frustrated. But for me, I just feel like that's been way too few and far between for. for yeah, I think I think that's a short fix, um, and obviously it shows that they're fighting for their spot. They're fighting for the manager at the moment. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's not sustainable. Yeah, it's a long season, so many games, uh, the World Cup, like we said. Um, so I, I think that energy, that desire, that only lasts so long, and then um, hopefully for them. Uh, no one else, but hopefully for Manchester United fans, um, that this short-term success based on um, 
their mentality, their energy, uh, and the way they're going to get pick up points now until Ten Hag has time to implement the way he wants to play football until that comes through. Uh, it might work if he doesn't do a good job on that training pitch um, to educate his players. It's only a short-term fix, this sort of football. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so let's let's move on. Let's actually get into it. So I'll just go over the, the key stats from the game. Um, so, man, so, sorry. Man United, sorry, had 12 shots. Liverpool had 17. Man United, 30% possession. So um, Liverpool dominated with 70% there. Um, I, look, I didn't really see the game other than, than highlights. So, you know, do these stats really tell much of a story? What, what were your thoughts on the on the game, Mike? Or Michael, rather? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's frustrating. Really frustrating um, as a Liverpool fan. Um. And he, like I said, the the result the week before only spurred him on. The Casemiro signing only spurred him on. Um, they had to show reaction. They did. They, they started quite well. Um, it was just so poor, so poor to give uh, them so much space um, to allow Sancho the ability to take a touch in the box. Um, Milner, he absolutely um, gave a mouthful to Van Dijk. Um Hakeem Milner slid in, trying to block Sancho. There was no one backing him up. They, they, there was no second press, and that doesn't usually happen. So that, that that's uh, where they're at at the moment. Uh, Robbo's come out and said um, that the senior players in the group are um, very, very honest and vocal with each other after these defeat. They need to set it right. So they allowed Manchester United to come on them um, and come up the pitch uh, without much pressure. Uh, they got their goal. Obviously, the crowd then got into it, didn't they? Um, Rashford, how many minutes did he scores? He puts one in the back in there. Good finish, really good finish. Ellison trying to come out, make himself big. Um, then that set the tone. Um, we slowly crept back in the game. So once they got 2 0 up, they said, hey, like, do we stick or twist? They, you know, um, they had something to hold on to. Um, were they well enough? Uh, we just weren't good enough. We just clearly weren't good enough. That was City versus them. Once City got that first back, they would have gone on, probably won the game. That's how poor Manchester United really were, even though they had the energy. So you think Manchester United weren't necessarily playing that well, but but um, Liverpool were just so really flat. And um, you mentioned as well, Milner's gave Van Dijk a bit of a mouthful. I've seen lots of things. I mean, Twitter and Facebook's pretty dangerous for this stuff because anyone yeah. can make a compilation and, and make anyone look like the best player in the world or the worst player in the world. So what have you made of sort of... Um, I was going to ask you about some of the players. So what do you make of Van Dijk and his starts the season? Because there's been a little bit of noise around him, since, especially since he came back from that, that knee injury. Yeah, well, he was exceptional last year. Like a guy come back from ACL, um, it was amazing. Um, this season, he usually, like what Van Dyke quotes, or what did he say, that uh, the centre-half shouldn't slide, otherwise you're out of position. Um, so he should never go for a sliding tackle, and he, he rarely does. Uh, he's done a few good one-on-ones. He did a few good one-on-ones in the game, um, obviously against Zaha. Oh, well, Mitrovic, sorry, he gave away the pen. <laughs> um, but apart from that, he's good he's positionally. When the attacker comes up against, wow, on Burson Van Dyke, he's already in their head. You know, when you come up against Allison, wow, this guy's massive. You're already in their head. I need to put it in the like, posted stamp finish, you know what I mean? 
Um, but the problem now, um, we didn't play Fabinho, by, by the way, which was quite surprising. I think we tried to go a bit more yeah. to attack. Might have played Hendo just in the six, um, but then that uh, didn't cover um, the Van Dyke in the back. So he was a bit exposed. Um, he's obviously on the same side as Robo. Robo's not in good form either. Um, so then he got caught sometimes where he was sort of doing one-on-one -on -one defending, which what not he wants to do. He's a good one-on-one -on -one defender, but he's usually that second cover uh, where um, you're not going to get through him. Yeah, and um, just looking at Manchester United's lineup and yeah, like and Liverpool's well. Obviously, you mentioned Fabinho wasn't in the team. So just looking at that, if I'm looking at a Liverpool lineup without having any context or anything. Not seeing Fabinho, there's a strange one. Obviously, Milner started. You know what you're going to get from Milner. Um, Elliot as well, which obviously shows Klopp's faith. Um, I'm looking just at Manchester United here. Uh, Malakia as well, apparently played quite well. Uh, Lissandro Martinez had good raps. Um, obviously, Sancho and Rashford scored. So is there any other players there or any of those players that really caught your eye, key players from the game? Yeah, um, so Martinez played um, Varane. Uh, the heart of defence, and the, um, and I think he'll go into the next game with the same partnership at centre half. Uh, but then Argentinian type of player, um, when they went one two up, um, even at the end of the game when it was two one, the those the dark arts like we call it, um, it was amazing that um, he's on the floor cramp, he's yelling at the ref, he's getting hit uh, in the head, he's rolling over, wasting time, all those sort of tactics. Um, so the, it would have impressed me as a Manchester United fan, uh, <laughs> didn't have as a Liverpool fan, obviously. Um, even their winger, um, young uh, winger cutting him from the left, uh, he did well. He did, obviously got subbed. I like um, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, again, it comes down that energy, fresh. Uh, he wasn't scared to take on. Um, he obviously, Liverpool, you target that right-hand side. You target Trent um, and you target um, whoever it is. If it was um, Matip, if it was Canate, obviously Gomez just back from an injury. Um, so that is the weaker side of the pitch and he was given the licence to play your game. You're young, you're at home, you're at Old Trafford. Yeah, it's interesting as well. And just looking again at Man United's uh, lineup as well, it's quite a pacey front three, quite a creative front three as well. So I wonder whether that's part of their plan just to um kind of sit back and then hit you with the counterpunch. So yeah, look, it's um it's interesting. So again, without spending too much more time, so what does the result mean for both teams? Do you reckon? What does it mean for Liverpool, especially two points in nine games? Ah, uh, sorry, two points out of nine from three games. Uh, Man United got their first win. Yeah. Uh, for Liverpool, uh, it's, it's it's obviously not good. We have Bournemouth uh, this, this Saturday, um, Australian time, 10 p.m. kickoff. Um, so they obviously need to pick up the three points. They need to score first. That's a no-brainer. Uh, the the mid the week after, they have the Merseyside derby away at Goodison. Um, obviously, Everton um, are going to be absolutely up and about, like Manchester United were. Um, it's an early kickoff, uh, so but it, the crowd will be up for that as well. I, I think we need to take we need to take three points for every game coming up now, but I think we need to take six out of the next two, so we'll win both games. Uh, starting with Bournemouth and Anfield, they they need reaction, they need reaction from the crowd. 
uh, saying that um, Naby has got a fresh injury, so he'll be up for a number of games. Now Thiago's still not, so the midfield is very lacking, um, and I think that's where a lot of the problem is at the moment. Uh, like Gomez next to, um, let's say the back five with Gomez, that, that is still solid, even though Gomez is, uh, hasn't played too much football recently. Um, the front three, you telling me your, your starting front three is Firmino, Salah, and um, Diaz. Again, solid. It's that midfield three where they're not controlling. Yeah, 70% possession. They really didn't do that much, that effective football um, with that midfield. Um, and that's where it's scaring me at the moment. Um, and I wish, wish Klopp could sign it, but he has come out. I think the player that usually Klopp wants to sign, uh, like he's waiting for Van Dyke, he's waiting for Allison, the player that Klopp wants to sign, if he doesn't get him, doesn't go second, third, fourth, um, even though the plug could few gaps at the moment, he will wait and trust the squad, wait for next transfer window. Yeah, I think that's the important thing as well. We're not just rushing out and going and buying a player um, just for the yeah. sake of buying one. So you want to get the right sort of player. And I think um, my team's been good at that as well. So um, Manchester United as well, do we do we make much of that? Or is it just um, Manchester United, like I say, keeping things at arm's length just for that little bit longer? You think they, do they show anything that maybe shows that they are sort of adapting to Ten Hag's tactics? Or Yeah, yeah. Um, well, take hard post-game. Um what do you say? We can swear in this pod because that is fucking football. Um, so they can play fucking football. What do you say? So um, he was impressed. Uh, they finally did play some football, like Canada football against top European club at home, nevertheless. Um, that they did well. Uh, that they uh, they set up. Um, he obviously chose the likes of Rashford, Sancho over. Um, the, the Renato um, to get him behind. So uh, that, that was uh, not by accident, that was by design. He, the way he set up, um, 30% possession, they still had 12 shots, um, you know, so, and and four of those shots um, were on target. So it, it worked, it worked, they got the result. I think this will give them um, a bit more, um, especially with the Casemiro signing, wow. Uh, this will give him uh, a bit more energy uh, going into next game. So they're, they're, they're ready to go, um, and he can use this now. This is the this is the foundation where we're, we can build upon. So uh, it's exciting time for Manchester United, but obviously it takes one game the other way, um, and then they could be back to where they were post Brentford. Yeah, definitely. All right, so I think what we'll do is we'll move on now. So that's our game in focus. So we'll we'll do this in the next couple of podcasts as well. I think it's good to just break one game down in particular. Um, so obviously, Manchester United 2, Liverpool 1. So that leaves Liverpool in I think it's 16th. And Manchester United have got their first win under Ten Hag. And now, as we mentioned earlier, they are 14th. So... Still early days, and I'm sure both teams will improve. It'd be interesting to see how the state of situation sort of evolves at Manchester United and how Ten Hag goes. And of course, I'm expecting Liverpool to recover and pick up some points sooner or later. I've got Bournemouth next next week or this weekend rather, um, and I expect them to sort of, you know, lay a bit of damage on them and and score a few goals and get the confidence back. So, all right. So now we're going to look at some of the predictions for this weekend. And we'll go in the other week. We'll just do a win, draw, loss. Um, all right. So to kick off, it's going to be Southampton versus Manchester United. 
Who are you going? I'm going for a Man United win. Uh, I'm going to say draw. Draw? Okay. Uh, Brentford, Everton. I'm going to go with... I think... Oh, I'm going to go draw. Brentford. Brentford. Okay, interesting. Uh, Brighton, Leeds. I'm going with... I'm going Brighton because it's at home. Yeah. Yeah, I think they'll continue the form. Yep. Uh, Chelsea, Leicester. I'm going to go with... Chelsea. Yeah, bounce back at home. Uh, we'll, yep. What's the kickoff? Uh, our time, 10 p.m. Saturday. 10 PM. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time. Yep. Um, Liverpool, Bournemouth. I'm going Liverpool 8 0. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for a sneaky uh, 2 1. <laughs> uh, uh, Man City Palace. I'm going for a win. I think we'll bounce back at home. Harlan gets his first home goal. Yeah, I think they'll put a few past. For sure. Tough, tough game, but yeah. Um, all right, so then the, on the well, Sunday or Saturday in the UK, uh, Arsenal-Fulham, I'm going for an Arsenal win, continue their good form. Arsenal-Fulham, yeah, North, uh, it's a London derby, um, <laughs> but uh, the, the way that Arsenal riding at the moment, they'll continue it. Um, Aston Villa-West Ham, I'm going for a draw, I think just the way both teams have been playing. <sighs> This is a tough one, you know. Um, I think, like, sort of like the Manchester United of the last week, I think West Ham need to do something, don't they? But then on the flip side, uh, Gerrard's under massive pressure. Um, I think West Ham will come together and try and uh, show some form that they put in the back in the last season, or for most of last season, actually. Yep. And um, they might get the points just. Okay, interesting. All right. So Wolves and Newcastle. I'm going to go for, I reckon Newcastle might might pip a win here. It's at the Molyneux, so it's going to be a tough, tough game. Yeah, yeah, I, I happen to agree with you. I think Maxon might be too much for him. Um, all right, last one for, oh, actually it might be the last one. Let's have a look. So Nottingham Forest and Tottenham. I'm going to go for a Tottenham win. I think that just be a little bit too strong for Nottingham Forest. Yeah, happen to agree with you. That's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's just been the dynamic duo, Michael and Mike, tonight. It's been really good fun, Mike. Michael. Um, so, as always, you can follow us on social media. So, we are... If you want to follow all our social media, if you want a one-stop shop for all things Perth Della Prem, you can follow us on Linktree, link.tree forward slash Perth Della Prem. You can also follow us on YouTube and subscribe. We'll upload this podcast as a video as well as an audio version as well. So if you want to listen to the audio version, you can find us on Spotify, um, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. So make sure you give us a follow. Our Twitter needs a little bit of love, and so does our Facebook. Thanks for listening. Cheers, Michael. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, It's been fun, obviously, missing Gareth, but... uh... Uh, I'm sure there's a plenty of future episodes that we can get him back in. So looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll be back with the big voice not uh, in not too long. So thanks again. You've been listening to the Perth Delaprem podcast.